Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds and preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Well, this past week, Jason preached to us, and he delivered a sermon from the book of Revelation. He's kind of been doing that off and on here, just kind of uh, informal series. And he took us to the end of the book of Revelation to talk about which city am I living for? And that's uh, one of the great ways I like to study the Bible is by looking at contrast. And so there's a contrast between two cities that, that he presented to us, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, the writer Dickens had a story which he entitled The Tale of Two Cities, and that, that could well be the description of these two cities here that we're talking about. When we travel, there are places we want to go to. Um, we, we sometimes get out the... Uh, uh, the plans and the maps and everything and go to certain destinations. But in that, there's always some places we don't want to go to. And we would just, we wouldn't go there at all. There'd be a nightmare for us. And I, I've been a lot of places like that. And so, and so when we look at this contrast between these two cities, that's what comes out. There is one that we ought to want to go to, and there's one that we shouldn't want to go to, but but we oftentimes get those confused. So, Jason, let's take us through that sermon, and then let's kind of just stretch it and talk about some things we find in there. Yeah, I have been so encouraged here in recent weeks by the response of members of our church family. Uh, we've been reading through the difficult last book of the Bible, Revelation. This has not been a Bible class on that. You, Roger, most recently have taught a class on that. I know since I have lived here, I've done that before, and there's value in that, but I think also some value just in spending some time in sermons here and there. And so I've tried to time a few of these lessons with where we've just been or about to be in our reading, and Babylon and the New Jerusalem uh, are, are prominent here in the last few chapters, not just of the last book of the Bible, but the end of the written revelation of God to mankind. Those are our two cities. You can read all about Babylon, as it's described in Revelation chapter 18. But then, of course, that's not the end of the story. In Revelation 21 and 22, we've got what is described as the New Jerusalem. And it's fascinating to me how you put those side by side, as God puts them side by side, and there are some very clear very important and practical contrasts. We tried to make them clear and, of course, tried to show the the practical nature of this choice, which city I'm going to live for in the sermon. In Revelation chapter 18, we read that Babylon is fallen, whereas in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem is prepared, never to be conquered. In Revelation 18, Babylon, one of the ways most fundamentally that she got herself into trouble was Babylon was all about glorifying herself, whereas in Revelation 21, the glory of God is what fills the new Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 18, I think verse 14 is just 
just a a haunting passage where uh, it, it is said, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The, the fruit for which the souls in Babylon were longing, they didn't have access to it anymore. Life was good in Babylon for a little while for some people, but that fruit ended up, of course, disappointing. Whereas in Revelation 22 in the New Jerusalem, we've got the fruit of the tree of life that is there for the healing of the nations, and it never rots. It, It never disappoints. In Revelation 18, we read about the apostles and the prophets, even saints of God that have been severely persecuted, and that's one of the reasons that God is bringing judgment on Babylon, whereas in Revelation 21, the apostles and prophets are the very foundation of this new Jerusalem, and saints have a home in this new Jerusalem. Revelation 18, verse 8, Babylon is full of death, mourning, and famine, whereas in Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem, those things will be no more. They are described as former things. Finally, in Revelation 18, verse 4, one of the clear messages to the people of God is, I want you to come out of Babylon. Well, it's one thing to come out. It's another thing to know where to go to, right? And of course, that is the note on which the Bible ends. Come. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, God is inviting all to come, to leave Babylon behind and to come to him, to this God who has prepared a place for all who wash their spiritual robes white in the blood of the Lamb. That was the basic contrast on Sunday. And and that sermon is uh, available on our website. It's a great sermon, great contrast. And so let's kind of talk about some things in this Of course, when we read Babylon from a historical standpoint, it takes us to the book of Daniel and maybe the last book, last chapters of the book of Chronicles, second Chronicles. And God raised up the Chaldeans or the Babylon, Babylonians to punish the people of Judah. They, they had gone into idolatry. God had sent prophet after prophet and they refused to listen to them. And so God brought up Babylon and there was that great King Nebuchadnezzar and I really think God thought a lot about him in a lot of different ways. You know, he, he has these dreams that Daniel's going to interpret and others will, will be there. God seems to speak through him in a lot of different ways. And it was Nebuchadnezzar who built that big image. He wanted everyone to bow down. And that's where we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so when you get to chapter 5 of Daniel, then you have a change of empires. We have the Medes and the Persians taking over the Babylonians, and they really just kind of fizzle out. And we don't read about Babylon anymore until we come to this last book of the Bible. And here God brings up Babylon and contrasts it with the new Jerusalem. So for the people hearing John's letter being read, Revelation, what would Babylon have meant to them? Yeah, well, that is a fantastic question, and it is one that I would really encourage our listeners, Bible students, to dig into. Uh, You know, you mentioned Babylon, of course, appears in the last book of the Bible. It's interesting to me 
Peter uses the word Babylon in 1 Peter 5 as an example, just a few pages before Revelation, when he's rounding off this letter. He says in uh, verse 13 of 1 Peter 5, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son, greet one another with the kiss of love. So, to think about receiving, for instance, this letter from Peter, we know historically someone receives that and maybe it would be initially easy to think, well, what are you talking about? Babylon uh, came and went a very long time ago, but this is a good example. First Peter 5, Revelation 18, there are other places we could go to that Give us the sense these people, for instance, in the first century, would view Babylon in more of a symbolic sort of way. Really, I mean, Roger, you took us back to Daniel. I think we could trace it all the way back to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel that comes to be the center eventually of this great world empire. By the time that Babylon becomes a dominant force in what we describe as the Old Testament, it is the most expansive empire the world had ever seen. And I would suggest when the Bible talks about Babylon, that word, that designation can be attached to really any human power that is opposed to God. Think about Babylon in those terms. It had an early seedbed in the Tower of Babel, where people, you remember, say, let us make a name for ourselves. Let's build ourselves a tower that stretches all the way up into the heavens. We see someone like Nebuchadnezzar, for instance, in Chronicles, Kings, the book of Daniel, quite literally <laughs> uh, trying to live that dream out, right? But you said you brought up even in Daniel, the change of a world empire. Well, even though the names change and the power changes hands, really it is still, okay, an earthly power that is opposed to God and his purposes. I'd suggest even the city of Jerusalem at times acted like Babylon, which is why Jesus said what he said in Matthew 23 and 24. We've been exploring that on, on Fridays. And so when you read Babylon in, for instance, 1 Peter 5, I think Peter's talking about the city of Rome, the empire of Rome, but he's using this Old Testament image that would really describe anybody who is building themselves up and ultimately opposing God. Yeah, and so it's more than just a spot on the map. Yeah. You know, uh, we, you know, we can open up a map and say, okay, where's Missouri? It's over here, okay? <laughs> well, we'll open up an old map and there's Babylon. It, it's really representative of something. Yeah. And, and at its time in the book of Daniel, it was the most powerful nation. It was very wealthy. When we think about the seven wonders of the world, one of them was a hanging garden or hanging baskets in Babylon. So it was wealthy. It was 
powerful and it was ungodly. And it was very arrogant. The, the, the leaders thought that they were gods. They're, they're building statues of themselves and expecting the citizens to bow down to them. And so later on, Rome would do the same thing. And, and so this is why it's so fitting in this book of Revelation, because Rome is acting like Babylon, who's acting like everyone else who's walked away from God and in that way. And so, so the two cities really represent the spiritual city of God. That's the that's the New Jerusalem. Right. Babylon is just worldliness living without God, and it could well be America in some ways. No as doubt. we as we think about uh, our culture becoming more and more secular, more and more ungodly. Uh, just you know, we don't need God. There's been a push a few years ago to take in God we trust off all the buildings and all the coins, and it's like we don't need God anymore. Well, that that is acting very very much like Babylon. And Absolutely. So, so in, in, in the midst of your contrast, one of your contrasts talked about the fruits of Babylon becoming mm-hmm. rotten. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you see in that? Yeah, well, in Revelation chapter 18, verse 3, all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. I mentioned earlier, life in Babylon was good for some for a little while, but now as Babylon is falling, you skip down to verse 11 of Revelation 18, the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloths, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots. I mean, all of those things are the the best of the best, right? I mean, this is the the best of what human civilization has to offer, buy, sell, trade, all of these things. Even the very end there of verse 13 talks about slaves, human souls, right? There were people who depended upon Babylon. I to borrow from the sermon, I I tried to depict them as living for Babylon, right? This was, verse 14, the fruit for which their souls longed. But this is the same message that Jesus, for instance, delivered in that sermon of the rich man who had barns and was building larger barns, tearing down some, you know, constantly living for this I want to eat, drink, be merry, relax. I have arrived. There were people who were living for nothing more than this stuff, and it turns out to be undependable, rotten fruit that their souls cannot be satisfied with. And to piggyback on what you said, Roger, earlier, if all that I'm living for is the best that the United States of America has to offer or any other country on earth, there's going to come a time when all of those things fail. They will not satisfy the soul. 
I watched a video the other day of, of this exotic car. It was in this it was in this crate. They opened up the crate, and this is this orange McLaren. Wow, four million dollars. <laughs> they only make ten. They only make ten, and and it's a very 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 fast car, very expensive car. Nobody that we know will ever be able to afford one of those. But what does it profit, Jesus says, yeah. if you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul? And that that kind of is, is what's running through this. So to, to live for a city, as your title is, means what? Well, it ultimately means to hang my hope, my sense of identity and purpose we frequently sing, my hope is built on nothing less than, well, is it this sort of stuff? The, the pleasure that comes from living in a city, the, uh, the, the uh, expense, the, um, the, the benefits financially that come from living in a city. There are plenty of people who are building their hopes on the cities of man. Right. And the message of Revelation 18 is those things will not last. Those things ultimately are not what we are created for. The tug of these things is to pull us away from God. We've got to live for enduring eternal fruit. And I think for this first audience who heard Revelation, many of them were slaves. Many of them didn't have the opportunities we have even right here in this country to hear these words of what Babylon offered and all the gold and the cargo and the precious stones. I mean, that, that was things that they would never, ever, ever have. But they had something in their heart that Babylon didn't, and that was that was eternal life with Jesus. And that that's a really the main contrast he's making here, and I think that is essential to see. The, the joys and the glitter of Satan never lasts. They never really satisfy, and that's what we got to appreciate. The expression, fallen, fallen is Babylon, what does that mean? Well, I mean, in our own culture, our own history, um, if you mention to a fellow American, even someone who was not alive at the time, something like uh, what happened at Pearl Harbor or September 11th, 2001, immediately there are images that come to our mind, right, of uh, power, security, peace of mind that is immediately disrupted in a powerful, uh, scarring, memorable way, right? And these people knew what it was for Babylon to march in and destroy their great city of Jerusalem and its temple, right? They knew what it was for Rome to come in and do the same thing centuries later. Now to hear that the great power of the day. And I, Roger, I think you're exactly right. For us to attach a single historical city and a single historical event to, well, this is Revelation 18, is really to miss the point. This is what makes it so timeless. Whether we are living in first century Rome or we are living in the Middle Ages under the oppression and perversion of uh, Rome in uh, 
10th century Europe, let's say, or whether we're talking about the United States of America or any other world empire now or in days to come, the kingdoms of earth pass away one by one. We sing that as well, but the kingdom of heaven remains. And and I think that, that was a real historical lesson for these people. Because when you go back to the book of Daniel or the end of Chronicles, and you see this powerful, powerful nation, uh, Habakkuk, the prophet, when he when he said, why don't you do something, God? And he said, I am. Then describe this Chaldean or Babylonian people fierce. They were afraid of nothing. They were going to come marching in and destroy Jerusalem. The center of their religion seemed like it was gone. And it seemed like God had left them. They were taken away into captivity for a whole generation. But by the time you read Revelation here, where is Babylon? It's a footnote in the history books. Where is God? He's still on the throne. And so for the disciples who were living when this book was first written, the book of Revelation, their Babylon was Rome. What can we do against Rome? They're more powerful. They have more resources. They have armies. They have, they have money. We're just a bunch of simple Christians. What can we do? Remember Babylon. Yeah. God is still on the throne. For us, it might be of another foreign nation we think about, or maybe our own nation. And we may think, well, what can I do? I'm just a simple disciple trying to do what God wants me to do. Remember, Babylon came, Babylon went. Rome came, Rome went. And so will be all the nations of the world, but God remains. Yeah, the book, the entire Bible ends not on just wait for the right form of government, wait for the right elected representative, wait for the right president or king or queen or emperor. It's it's not that at all. The book ends with the Lord Jesus saying, surely I am coming soon. And the emphasis there at the very end is, Blessed are those who wash their robes, right, in the blood of this lamb. I need to be on his side. Whatever time, whatever epoch, whatever empire or environment I'm living in, what matters most is, do I belong to Jesus? Because we know how the story ends. It is simply a question of which city I'm living for. Absolutely. And, and you know, that brings up another great hymn we sing, Where the Roses Never Fade, I Am Going to a City. Well, we've got to make sure we're going to the right city. Mm -hmm. Um, You go to the wrong city, you're going to be in the wrong place, and that's that's just it. And so, great lesson. And and again, we encourage you to go back and look at this. Great contrast. And as you uh, go through this and read about Babylon. It'll make you want to go back to the Old Testament and just look at the the first Babylon and see why that name was used again. And it will help you. It will help us with today. Uh, even as we're speaking right now, there is a war declared in the world. And we don't know how this war is going to turn out. We don't know if our country is going to get involved in that war or not. We don't, we don't know. There's lots of unknowns. But one thing we do know, Babylon falls and God survives. Yeah. That's what we need to remember. That is exactly right. I appreciate the opportunity to revisit that with you, Roger. It is Wednesday, 7 o'clock p.m. You're going to be teaching in the auditorium. Yes, and we continue our series on finishing the Old Testament 
based on our theme, finish what was started. We are wrapping up the book of Ezra, talking about how the people of God came back and had to get about doing some things. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we are surveying Exodus through Deuteronomy, anchoring ourselves to this powerful phrase, God gives Israel, you shall be my people. We're talking about God leading the children of Israel to Mount Sinai and things that happened there. We would love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. Roger, we are very, very much looking forward to this weekend and beyond. We've invited Tim Stevens from Texas to come. He is going to be leading our church family and any visitors in in what he calls a song worship training series. That kicks off on Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m., where Tim is going to be teaching a song leading class for any men or boys who would like to learn more about song leading. We talk a lot around here about how Sunday is the best day of the week, and we want to give the best that we have to give to God, we all can learn more and improve. And that really is what this next week is going to be all about. As we focus on congregational singing, Tim is going to be preaching this Sunday morning at 930 and beyond. Lots of details available at charlestownroad.org. He will preach, but he will also engage in song worship training for all men and women. I've, I've had multiple people People ask me, Roger, here in recent weeks, is this just for men or is this for everybody? We want to <laughs> communicate loud and clear. Other than that Saturday morning opportunity, this is for all, and we would love to have you join us. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. It would be great to see you tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.